We've been walking through the book of Nehemiah as we see what's happening as God has put this vision for what he wants to do for his people there in Jerusalem into the heart of Nehemiah, who, one who's really a long ways away. And last week we, we walked through chapter 3 and, and we, we encountered a, an incredible list of names, lots and lots of names signifying a lot of different people who are, who are coming together to work. We see that, that this vision that God has put in Nehemiah's heart, this, this holy discontent for the way things are, Last week, as we got to chapter 3, we saw that, that work had begun on the walls. And, and it's kind of this, this celebration passage almost as, as we see the, the work has begun. And yet we know that even as the work has begun, it's a long process, that there's still a lot to do. And, and we had already seen uh, glimpses of it in chapter 2 as Nehemiah was coming into Jerusalem, that there were people around that were not appreciative that he was there. Said so they were greatly distressed that somebody was coming with a heart for the people of God. And we saw again in chapter 3 that there were those who kind of uh, refused to do some of this work. And now as we come to chapter 4, we're, we're right in the middle where, where the work has begun and it's very exciting but we also know that Nehemiah wisely expects opposition. And in chapter 4, we see it. We see this opposition coming in full force. And there's the questions of possibly what, what's happening here. Are we doing the right thing here? Is, is God even still in this? And so let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. It begins, Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what they are building if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O oh our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop their work. At that time, the Jews who lived near, near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. 
And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. And the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. In any, in any type of, of vision that God has for your life, in any type of thing God puts in your heart to do, you can bet on this. There will be opposition. I've said it before and it bears continuing to say. Chapter 3, we saw the work had begun on the wall. And that was an exciting thing. And yet, because the work had begun does not mean happily ever after. Because the work had begun does not mean that the work was done. We saw in chapter 3 uh, kind of this overview thing that, that almost looked as though Nehemiah, after the work had all been done, went back and said, these are the people who did it. And yet as we pick up the story here, we, we're seeing that this is still a work in progress. And it's important for us because how many good works of the Lord are begun with great intentions but then just abandon when things get tough. And so we look to, to Nehemiah as, as he looks at the opposition that's coming around him. And, and in, in fact, in some ways, I think it's, it's maybe comforting for us if you'll bear with me in this, it's comforting for us to look at this and see Nehemiah crying out, to see all these people coming against him, to see how hard it is for him and how he just cries out to God. Because I think it's a story that we can relate to. You know, if, if Nehemiah has this dream, has this vision, and, and he goes forth and... And he tells the people and everybody says that's great and they build it up and, and it's all hunky-dory and nothing ever goes wrong. I think first we say, that's great. And then we say, but that's, that's not the real world. That, that's not how I've experienced things and it gives us this false hope that that's how things are supposed to be. 
And so isn't it good that as we look at this massive project that Nehemiah is undertaking, we see this kind of opposition coming against him. We see this kind of turmoil that's happening. And we see what God does in and through Nehemiah for it. So let's look as we see here what, what the problem is as, as this opposition comes and then what Nehemiah finds as the solution and how that serves us today. As we look at the problem, it's clear. We, we see people named there. Enemies rise up against Nehemiah, ones that, that don't want to see him build this wall, ones that we've already seen in chapter 2. They said that those... They were greatly displeased that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people. That's chapter 2, verse 10. And back in chapter 2, we, we heard some of them named Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite servant, and even Geshem the Arab. And now here in chapter 4, we catch some of those names again. We hear Sambalat, who is, is speaking among his brothers, it says, in the armies of Samaria. And we hear of that name, Tobiah the Ammonite. I think as we hear these things, as we look down to verse 7, Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and Ammonites and Ashdodites, we hear all these people that, that are hearing about the wall being repaired and getting a picture of it might even help us a little bit. Because here we've got Jerusalem. That holy city, that place where God said, this is where I'm going to, to have my name to dwell. This is where the temple will be built. This is that beacon on a hill, as it were, that, that screams to the nations, this is who our God is. And so if from Jerusalem we hear Sambalot talking with the armies of Samaria. We see that to the north. And then we hear about the Ammonites off to the east and the Arabs and all these nations to the south, and even the Ashdodites off to the west. We see, as we look at a map, uh, they're not just names anymore. Now we see that here's Jerusalem in the middle, and everyone around them is coming against them. Everybody is coming against these guys. Who here hasn't felt that before? Who here hasn't felt like, I'm trying to do what, what God wants us to do, and it seems like everybody is coming against me in this. Who hasn't felt alone like that before? Like Nehemiah standing in the city, like, like Noah building an ark out in the middle of the desert and bring all these animals coming in, feeling alone as everyone is, is against you, and yet God is doing something in this. Nehemiah, in this time, he's surrounded by opposition. It's not just uh, some hate mail that's coming in. These guys are all over the place. And so as we see these enemies that are rising up, they're reverting to all kinds of things that, that we see continuing today. We, we see them talking among themselves. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish? We, we see the, this taunting that comes, the, these insults that are being flung, the, these ideas of, of challenging their vision, their future. Will they sacrifice? Are they going to be able to actually do this? 
see these insults, the belittling, the abuse that, that is coming verbally, but, but then also physically as, as they gather up their armies, as they say, you know what, we're just we're going to go in. We're going to go in. We're going to sneak in. They won't even know that we're there until we're already in their midst. We'll kill them. We'll stop the work on this wall. Insults. Challenges. Belittling. Intimidation. We, we see all of it happening as these people are preparing to gather up their weapons. And there are a lot of times that we see that same kind of thing. We, we look at it as we consider Sambalat and, and Tobiah and Geshem and all these names. We, we think about the way the world looks when, when we try and step out, when we try and tell somebody, let me tell you the good news. Let me tell you how you don't have to live in fear, how you don't have to live in bondage, how, how this, this chain that sin has on your life does not have to be the way you experience life, there's a better way. And the world wants to just tear against that and rage against that, don't they? Who are you with your closed-minded opinions? Why do you think your way has to be the right way? Why is your way the only way? Why can't you just have an open mind? You're all a bunch of fools. You'll just believe whatever anybody tells you. The world comes with these same kinds of insults, these same kind of belittling. And, and then if, that, if that's not enough, if that's not doing it, then they start with the intimidation, right? You know what? If you do this, we're going to sue you. We're going to take everything you have. We know as we come alongside the Todd Becker Foundation in prayer, we know that this last year they've experienced a lot of that. As they go out into high schools to, to speak this good word that says this way is not the only way and it's not how you have to experience life. That Jesus wants better for you. And there are so many groups that are trying to come and intimidate the schools that they're in. Intimidate the, the group themselves. Say, you know what, if you're going to say that name in a public school, then, then we're going to bring all this, this legal action against you. We're going to take everything you have. We're going to ruin you. And it's hard. And it's scary. But it's not new. And we see the world acting that way. And, and we have to not be surprised when the world acts worldly. When the lost act like lost people. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with just that pressure from the outside. Because we see the people inside are feeling that as well. Nehemiah, as the leader, is feeling this pressure come in, but so are the people. And that starts to disrupt their faith. It starts to disrupt what, what they have going. And, and you see them coming and begging Nehemiah, you've got to stop. You've, you've got to let our, our people come home. We've got to stop the work on this wall. The wall is too much. The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing, it says in verse 10. People come to Nehemiah and they say, it was a good idea. It was a great speech he gave, but it's just too much. 
We, we can't do it. It's too big. There's, there's too much going on there. The rubble is too much. The pressure is too much. We can't do this. The people have lost heart. And again, so many God-ordained visions get somehow set aside by those words. We can't. We tried, it didn't work, we can't. We tried building up the wall. We, we had a good start, but now it's too much. We can't. And we see as this pressure comes against Nehemiah and this pressure comes against the people of God and this pressure comes against the wall itself that in fact this pressure is not ultimately against the wall or against Jerusalem or against the people or against Nehemiah. This pressure is coming against God and what God is trying to do. And this is where Nehemiah finds the solution. Because as the pressure comes in from all those outside saying, you can't do this, we're going to tear you down, we're going to stop it, this can't happen, and then it happens from within, and the people say, they're right, it's too much. Nehemiah says here his first inclination, verse 4, is to say, Hear, O God, for we are despised. The first thing he does is go to God in prayer. Now that's what you expected to hear when you come to church, right? What's the answer? You pray. Because that's a good church answer. That's what we do. Read the Bible, pray. There's so much to it there. There's so much to this fact that, that Nehemiah, in feeling all of this, that is his first inclination, is to come to God in prayer. And his prayer, as he cries out to God, is, is a bold one. It's, a, it's an urgent one. He's praying passionately, and he's praying honestly. He is crying out to God. Hear us. Hear us. Sometimes that simple prayer is, is all we can get out. God, hear me. See me. Know what's happening. That's a prayer that's prayed to a personal God. That's not just something that, that's this, this vague entity out there. You don't, you don't ask the universe, to hear anything. But Nehemiah is praying to God, one who is personal, and asking to be heard. And as he does, he prays honestly, turn back their taunt on their own heads, give them up to be plundered in a land where they're held captive. Don't cover their guilt, don't let their sin be blotted out. I mean, Nehemiah is praying, praying some, some pretty bold stuff here. He's coming and, and saying, God, do you see what they're doing? Do you see the pressure that they're bringing? Do you see the disrespect they're heaping on you? Strike them down, God. Eesh. 
We, we maybe don't like to hear about prayers like that very often. Do, I mean, do we, do we think that, that Nehemiah really was wanted harm to come to these people? Yeah, he probably did. I mean, if I'm thinking honestly, yeah, he probably did want them hurting, want them struck down. I mean, Nehemiah was completely honest with his prayers. And what we see here is an honesty in his prayer that, that is descriptive. It, it displays the, the pain in his heart. It displays the, the rage that's coming. It displays all this stuff that, that he's feeling and he's wrestling with. We can say that that prayer is descriptive. It may not be prescriptive. We, we should not be quick to say, you know what, Nehemiah prayed like that, so I'm going to pray like that too. I'm going to pray that my neighbor house catches on fire so that they have to move away somewhere and, and I don't have to deal with them anymore. That's probably not the prayer that we're trying to pray. But get this. As Nehemiah is honest in his prayer, as, he, as he's just pouring out his heart and saying, God, we are beaten down and, and I need you to hear me in this. And, and would you beat them down so, so that we can see you? He's completely honest with that in his time with the Lord. We, we don't read about him coming before the people and saying to the people, we want them torn down. We want them burned up. We want them destroyed. That's not the way he's leading, but it is the way that he is crying out to God. Knowing that God knows his heart anyway, so might as well just say it. And then trusting that God's way is going to be best. And so even as he prays these prayers, it says, tear them down and burn them up. I believe that Nehemiah is saying it, trusting and knowing that the way God does end up dealing with this is going to be for the best. Yeah, he's brutally honest in his prayer, but, but that's not the way he goes before the people to lead. You know, as he goes before the people to lead, he calls them to join him in prayer. We see that there in, in verse 9. It goes from Nehemiah's prayer to, to Sambalat and Tobiah and all those people coming together, seeing that the wall is being closed up and, and plotting that they're going to come and fight. And in verse 9 it says, And we prayed to our God. Nehemiah brings the people together in prayer. We don't hear what that prayer is. But Nehemiah brings the people together in prayer as well. And then he acts. He acts based on the best that he has from God, the best that he knows how. And he calls the people to arm themselves. He calls them to be ready, to be prepared, to understand that we might actually come under attack. And if God allows us to come under attack, so be it. But he, 
The people arm themselves. They, they stand in these little gaps in the wall with, with their swords and their spears and the chainmail so that the enemy can see we're ready. He says the builders have a sword strapped on, even the ones who are carrying the rubble and, and disposing of it outside the walls. They're ready. They're strapped with a sword. We don't see Nehemiah halting work on the wall to gather up his army and go out and try and destroy everybody. Right? But he does say, arm up. We are going to stand. We are going to be ready. We are going to continue in the work that God has called us to do. He sets up a guard. He prepares the people for what may happen. He sets up a message system with, with the trumpeter so that the people can know where danger is. He gets it all set up and then he leaves the results in God's hands as he continues to do what God has called him to do. We see this, this interesting tension there, don't we? Praying and acting. And Nehemiah even says in there that God will fight for us. But he doesn't have his people say, God will fight for us, so we're just going to ignore everything and we're, we're not going to pay attention to anything and we will be oblivious. There, there's a trust in God's sovereignty as he comes before him and, and begs the God of the universe he goes before the Lord of heaven on behalf of the needs of earth, knowing that God will fight for us. And he trusts in God's sovereignty in that. And he acts. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't go through some blind fatalism and, and, and pray and then just ignore everything then. But he also doesn't come and say, arm up, we're going to go into battle, we're going to do this thing. If God's not going to take care of us, we're going to take care of ourselves and just go and act. He prays and he acts. And we live in this tension between the fact that God is sovereign and in control of all things and that we are responsible for our actions and for our decisions and the way that we prepare. And somehow in God's wisdom, those two things work beautifully together. So we see that Nehemiah, in the midst of the opposition that's heaping up on him, he goes before the Lord. He submits to the Lord. He's reminded of who God is. Even as he tells the people in verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, the one who is powerful, the one who is holy, the one who is fighting on our side. The last part of that verse says, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. Sometimes as we're in the midst of that opposition, as we're feeling that pressure, as everything is crashing down, we need to be reminded of who God is. 
And as Nehemiah goes before him and pours his heart out to him, he also receives that from him and, and delivers it to the people. Remember God, who is great and awesome. And as we remember God, remembering who he is, he also, if we're listening, I believe will speak into your life who you are. Because Nehemiah also tells them, God will fight for us. In essence, he's telling the people that, that you are God's people. God loves you. God knows you. God cares about you. And God will fight for you. Sometimes we lose. We lose a sense of who we are in Christ. Because all we see is the stuff around us. As we see Nehemiah taking heat, we are reminded that we need to come back. We need to see who God is. We need Him to, to say who we are. We need to be reminded of how He has already been at work in this. And commit ourselves again to continuing to do what God has called us to do. Jesus, I thank You. Thank you for the wonder that it is that you would take on flesh. Would experience brokenness and rejection and pain. Would humbly and willfully take on death to pay a debt that was ours. God, to even think about that is overwhelming. Lord, in the midst of a world that, that is opposed to you, that hates you, God, may that, that truth within us, may your love within us overflow to those around us. May it be a beacon that shines and shows this world who you are. God, I pray as we have been praying throughout this whole series of Nehemiah that you be at work in our hearts. That you point us toward those things that, that break your heart and God, may they break ours. May we see those places of brokenness in our midst and around us in our community that you want to touch, that you want to renew, that you want to make yours and reclaim for your glory. And God, may those things burn within us. Create a vision within us, Lord, to see souls given life 
for your glory. God, we know that opposition comes, that, that this way is hard. Help us to shoulder under that, Lord. To follow you where you lead. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.